Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. In this, our third year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to be Human. I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet and playwright. This is episode 212, Shame and Guilt in the Artist. I had to switch things around a little bit because I had some vocal issues earlier in the week, and I'm running a little bit behind because I had to take a little time off from that. Um, I was able to successfully get our interview together with uh, Heather Cook, which came out uh, wonderful under the circumstances. Uh, certainly a difficult topic, but we've gotten some great response from it, and I'm really hoping that it'll help carry her message out about her, her brave and, and wonderful son, Aaron. So I was able to put that out first instead of the other way around. So we're going to go on to this show because we have one more this month, and then we're going to move on to uh, start doing the Mind Speak show, its first episode being uh, Leaving Afghanistan, which uh, apparently... Uh, we can't leave too soon the way that's going. But we'll talk about that here in about a week or so. I'm looking forward to it. Now, I'm going to break up the show into three segments. We're going to do the personal, we're going to do the artistic, and then we'll have a final word on it. Now, I know this might sound a little interesting, uh, shame and guilt in the artist, because there is such a wide array of opinion about these subjects in the, in the arts. You have a, a, a group of people that literally believe that because we are human and because we are communicating to humans, you know, through our arts, that we should try to use whenever possible shame and guilt and, you know, all the other things that are inside us. But we're just talking about shame and guilt on this show and use it on a regular basis. And in fact, uh, use it all the time, practically. And then, of course, you have another group that say, um, you know, it should be used... <laughs> Excuse me, sparingly, or it should just be used strategically, you know, where, where it has some real relevancy so that you can still remain an artist or you can still have something that's artistic and not just a rant or a rave or, you know, a complaint or something like that. And then, of course, you still have another group on top of that that believe that somehow, in some way, we should try to put together things in our arts, whether it's nonfiction or fiction or whatever that don't really have a lot of bearing in our lives, or maybe even a lot of bearing in people's lives in general. They're just stories, period. You know, uh, or um, like a science fiction writer I know uh, tells me all the time, Mark, none of this is real. So, I mean, I don't need to be Gene Roddenberry and try to lose every single thing that's happening on Earth in order to make my science fiction relevant. He makes, the fir- he makes fun of the word relevant a lot. I mean, he has a point, but I don't want to go as far as he's gone to where, um, you know, he can't do anything in his writing that easily resembles anything that that happens on Earth or what happens with human beings, because everybody's alien anyway, Mark, so what's the big deal? Really? I don't really understand his thinking, and uh, even though I'm saying this on the show to you, I'm not going to reveal his name, and I'm sure he'll be listening, and I already told this to him publicly, uh... Or rather privately, so publicly won't make a difference. It's not like it's some uh, some horrible argument and we hate each other. It's just simply a disagreement between writers. But I do disagree. I disagree deeply because, first of all, who's to say that any aliens that are out there don't deal with some of the same emotions we do as humans? You think they're just human things? Guilt, shame, fear, doubt, faith. Come on. These can't be any different emotions that they would have as aliens would have. Maybe they might express them differently because they're intellectually different, or I guess you could say culturally different, sure, but they're going to have the same things all the time. I don't care who you are, alien or Joe Blow the mechanic, okay? You're going to have your bad days. You're going to have your days when you travel and you don't have the faith because you're, 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 in, you're in fear. 
I mean, you think about it. Alien going across the galaxy in a spaceship. You think they're always going to be confident about that? You think they first started out that way? Of course not. So don't make any sense, that sort of thing. Neither, in my opinion here, does it make sense to think that nothing that happens in our lifetime, whether it be our childhood or our adulthood, or things that happen to you in the adulthood that changes you. I mean, I've had these happens and these things happen and so have many of you. Okay? You don't get to walk through an adult and then suddenly things happen and you don't change. You change. Go into the military, go into war. You change. Become a parent. And guess what? You're going to change as well. And these changes are not always consciously. They're not always things that you design. Hey, Mark, uh, I just became a father last week. And after my 78th diaper change, uh, I just decided I'm going to change. It doesn't really work that way. It changes you whether you want to change or not. War. Military service. Uh, somebody training two years for a boxing match. <laughs> Being a parent. These things change you. They can't help but change you because you're doing things on a regular basis that are things that you normally don't do. And in order to be able to continue to do them, you're going to make adjustments. And your adjustments are going to be natural as much as they're going to be conscious. They're going to be unconscious as much as they're going to be by design. But they're going to happen. So it makes no sense to me why people don't think that some of that is not going to seep into your writing whether you want it or not. Whether you like it or not. I believe it's going to happen. All right, so we're going to be on our first section here, personal. Now, what I've found with people, when I've talked to them over the years, I'm one of those curious people. I like to know what's going on with people. I like to talk to them about certain things. Sometimes it might seem out of blue to them. They're like, oh, my God, who is this guy? But, hey, that's just the way it is. If they want to remain my friend, that's great. If they don't, you know, I move on. That's all you can do. Great thing about talking to people and trying to be social with people, even if you don't always think that, you know, people have the most or the best things to say, even if you always don't believe in everything about humanity, we're all going to have our days, so do I. But even then, if you think about it in a funny way, as long as you maintain in contact with people, it helps maintain your own sanity. In many ways, it helps that you don't feel lonely. You know? I've had people I've known that they kept getting married over and over again, even though they don't know what the hell they're doing. They got three or four divorces. What happened, Mark? Well, I don't know. Maybe you don't like being lonely. But if you were more social and you go out and do things with people, maybe you wouldn't feel so lonely. And if you didn't feel so lonely, maybe you wouldn't try to marry every other woman you met in the supermarket or at church. Yeah, I'm just throwing it out there, okay? Am I right about that? I don't really know. But that's my feeling about the situation because I really think that many a times we do things based on loneliness, whether that loneliness is real or imagined, okay? Because, you know, if you have a mental health issue, you can feel lonely and you could be in a room full of people. So it doesn't always have to be real. But if you perceive it that way, it's real to you, you know? Um, and because of that, they make decisions based on this loneliness that bring oftentimes later on shame and guilt. This happens a great deal. Now understand these words shame and guilt. You're going to learn in the show here that I don't always mean these words in the same way that we know about them from the dictionary. Okay? Now, if you're talking about, a, a, let's say, a, a woman, okay, because she made some bad choices when she was younger, she was a prostitute, okay? She decided to get out of that field, if you want to call it a field. Thank God. I'm glad she did, okay? Cleaned herself up, so to speak. You know, went out there and pursued a college degree and married a, a nice fellow, but never really told him that that was her past life. So when you do things like this, okay, I don't mean being a prostitute. I mean not telling or sharing at least the closest people to you. You build up shame. It might have been there already, but now you really build it up. Because before, you know, it's just about, uh, you know, people won't understand and blah, blah, blah. Okay? And I'll leave it at that. A matter of privacy. 
But later on, when you start building up walls of Benson and this, that, whatever, well, now it's full-blown to become shame. Now, I don't tell somebody that felt that way, hey, that's dumb and that's not warranted. Because it's not dumb, and to a certain extent, it is warranted. But what I say about shame in this particular context, and how we become artists, or even how we become other people as we grow up in this life, it's destructive. And that's where a shame would be a problem. Okay? It's okay, and I don't care if this sounds moral or not, too bad. Uh, it's okay to say, you know, um, I left prostitution because I, I just felt it was not good for me and I, I was ashamed of doing it. To me, that's an acceptable answer. It might even be the most valid answer of, of why you get out of something like that. You just realize that it's not a victimless crime. It's actually a crime against yourself on a regular basis. And nobody, nobody should have their dignity subjected to that, in my opinion. I don't care if they choose it or not. It doesn't matter. It's the same stuff. You know? They used to make some difference, in the, in the, I guess, in the 70s. Well, I'm doing it independently, Mark. It's not like I have a pimp and I'm being forced into this. Really? I'm, I'm sorry to say, but the person that got forced into this, they have more of an excuse than you that just did it voluntarily, in, in my opinion. But let's go back to that woman, okay? And this could be any person, too. It doesn't necessarily have to be a woman. I'm just using that for the particular story here, okay? I guess you can have this, a gay male who became a prostitute and did the same thing this woman did, okay? Got a degree, met a nice fellow, got married, blah, 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 all right? But by not sharing that, you, you allow something like that to become a destructive tool still inside your life, and now inside your life with somebody else. And God forbid you have a child, now you got more of this stuff on top of you, thinking about that all the time. That's why it's important to let something like that go. Some people use some of this, and that could be a shame right there, um, in their arts. And I'm not against that. But what I always is against is that people that, they just don't let go of that. Yeah, I used it in my arts a couple of times, and I still feel that way, and I haven't done anything about it. I don't know. Do you like being unhappy? Do you not think? Because that's what I would tell that person in real life if I was talking with them. I understand you feeling shame when you're doing that and why you wanted to leave that. Uh, but you've been out of that for 10 years now. You got, a, you got a master's degree. You got a cool husband. You got a baby on the way. You're not that person any longer. You should not be carrying this stuff. Well, I don't think they'll understand. Well, this is the person that uh, said they loved you, right? This is the person that said they're going to uh, obey their, their, their marital uh, contract with you through sickness and health. Well, there you go. Give them something sick then, because he's got to be able to stick with you if he loves you, right? This is the reason why shame continues in people, and sometimes it even continues in the arts from people, is because... They now live in fear that they can't let that thing go because now the people around them are suddenly going to scatter. Is that fear irrational? I don't really know because I can't tell you the people that's around them. I, I, don't, I can't measure their character. But really that's what you're saying though when you're saying that you can't let that go because I'm not sure if I can trust the people around me. I don't know if my friends are really my friends. Or in this particular woman's case, I don't know if my husband will still love me. Because he's loved me for three years, but now three minutes later he's going to stop me love me. I mean, if you even hear yourself say that and, and think of the just the facts of it all and, and, and the logic of it all, if you can apply logic to love in this particular instance, I think you can, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, is the person going to be a bit mortified? Yeah. They might even be taken back about it. They might even say, and honestly so, um, gee, it would have been nice to hear this before. You're probably going to hear that sometimes. And people don't want to hear that kind of question. It frightens the death out of them. It makes them sick to the stomach. So they wind up ruining themselves in many ways because they're hiding a secret that shouldn't be a secret. It should just be out in the open. But it takes them a little while to get used to it or, or to heal with it or to deal with it or, you know. But it, part of your own healing process is you got to get that out of there. And then later on, maybe they have to figure out their own way to heal. Maybe heal together. Maybe heal separately. I don't really know. 
what I do know is that shame and guilt to a certain extent comes from people holding on to secrets way too long. Some people say you're supposed to have lifelong secrets. I don't really believe in that. I think it's a lot of crap. I can't tell you how many people I've, I've talked to that have had to deal with depression and, 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 and mental health and even physical ailments. And, and a lot of it had to do with just secrets they kept on for decades upon decades. Marriages upon marriages. You know? I mean, you never told your three wives that you used to have a criminal past? Are you serious? You had three opportunities? I'm really not trying to sound like a judge to anybody, but I'm just, these things to me are incredulous. And people wonder why they have problems. I'm sorry to say, folks, but whether we're artists or whether we're just people in this circumstance, a lot of problems we have, we create ourselves. We create because we make bad decisions based on crappy information that we didn't bother to check out. Bad decisions because we, we keep ourselves prisoners to fear. Bad decisions because we hold on to things longer than is necessary. Do I mean here uh, you stop becoming a prostitute and now everybody you meet yeah, hey, uh, my name is Jane, and I used to be a prostitute six months ago now, but I'm in my first year of law, okay? Mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. No, I'm not suggesting that at all. Yeah, you do have to have a measure of privacy. Yes, you do have some reasonable expectations that people are going to be a little weird. Even though before they met you, I'm sure they publicly said, yeah, I think prostitutes okay, I mean... You know, they're, they're, they're women, they have their own free will. I mean, it's independent business. And, you know, they have all the, the all the quaint, lovely answers until they meet somebody who used to be a prostitute. Then suddenly it's like, they sound like they just came out of church. So, I understand why people would have trepidation over that because folks can be very uh, two-sided about this. They're not very consistent oftentimes in, in, in how they see things. Because the reason is, is because something on paper, well, it's a whole lot different than in real life. That's why. So I understand that some of that might even justify what we're talking about over here. But in the end, you have the responsibility to yourself, if not to anyone else. And quite frankly, that's the case right there with that woman. Her first responsibility in that situation is to herself. She should have offloaded that from the beginning. How are you really going to know what the person feels, thinks, or, or, or is going to handle this until you tell them? You wait three years later? I mean, I don't know if you have any justification to your fear, but I can understand your fear because it, it, the timing sucks. But these are the decisions we often do. Now, I'm not just saying this particular scenario in, 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 in a theoretical sense. I know of somebody, this is exactly what happened to them. And I never bothered them to ask them the questions that I'm telling you about right now because... You know, it worked itself out. You know, they were actually a, a more of a religious couple, and, you know, they, they sought a little bit of therapy, and, you know, they did a little their own soul searching, and they were able to move on. And, and, and move on successfully without having that, because, you know, that's not a life that person wants anymore. That was the whole person, the whole point why the person changed in the, in the whole for, first place is because they didn't want to live that kind of life. So I, I didn't bother to have to ask the questions. But they were still on my mind. And that's why I bring them up. Many a times, when I talk with people, they have a lot of secrets that they've never told anybody. The funny thing is this, if there is a funny thing, a lot of these secrets and a lot of the shame that comes from these secrets that sometimes can manifest itself in our writing or in our arts, are not deep, dark things like I used to be a prostitute. You know, I used to shoot heroin underneath a bridge. You know? In a different incarnation of a man, I actually hit a woman in anger. No, they're not usually dark things like that at all. In fact, they oftentimes tend to be things that we're shameful about that in many instances are a penny any that any other else would, would think of. 
you know my mother died recently and i i've always felt shame after that because i don't really think i treated her properly in the last couple of years of her life okay what exactly does that mean well i just couldn't be there with her on everything that happened to her and i did my best but i just couldn't i go well why would you want to feel shame about that you're a mother you're a wife you have a full-time job you got a family that you're first responsible for. I mean, nothing against your mother. But you did what you can do. You, you can't do everything. You don't know how many years a person is going to have left. How many years are you supposed to be constantly 24-7 doing something for them when you have your own family to take care of? These are the things I'm talking about in terms of secrets and shames that a lot of people carry that are not the end of the world type of things. I'm not making light of what she feels or that situation. What I am saying though is that those are issues <laughs> excuse me, that can be managed a lot easier than carrying all that junk with you. Because there are consequences to being a caretaker. I mean, I praise them all the time. Because it is, uh, I feel, in many instances, a, a courageous job that doesn't get a lot of attention. It's not very sexy. You know, what do you do? Yeah, I rescued three girls from a fire last week. And what about you? Yeah, yeah, my, I'm, I saved my men from a battle in Afghanistan. What about you? I took care of my grandmother for four years until she died and didn't remember anybody. Oh, okay. Let's go have a sandwich now. See, it's not very sexy. Don't even sound all that exciting. And I don't think that we make light of the heroes of the firefighters and our soldiers, but it takes a lot of strength. And a lot of courage, a lot of go getness a lot of, ah, uh, I feel horrible today because I don't want to go and take care of my grandmother. It's depressing. She's not getting any better. I'm physically feeling exhausted, and I still got 20 other things I got to do, but I still got to go over there and do it. That's, in my opinion, you know, the truest definition of, of heroes out there. The single mom that's got to balance her budget and all the other realities without having a second income. The guy or the girl that's out there taking care of a sick relative when nobody else in the family is doing anything about it. And I don't care, folks, if it's 20 minutes a day or, 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 or three days a week or whatever the hell it is. You're taking care of somebody that's sick. You know, it in itself is a taxing job. And you have other things to do, too. And you, you, believe me, no one goes and does those things and then shuts it off. You know, I'm shutting off that my grandmother, who used to be a vibrant, intelligent woman, is now dribbling spit and, uh, and, and pooping on herself. So that I can go back and have a wonderful conversation about, uh, you know, the culture of France. No. Those things you don't forget. You carry them with you through the day, through the week, sometimes through your marriage, sometimes through your children, through your writing. They don't stop because in many ways, and we don't really always look at it this way, but I look at it this way. When you caretake somebody for a period of time, it becomes a type of trauma. It becomes an issue where I always tell a lot of caretakers, if you do this on a long-term basis, don't forget to take care of yourself. You might need a day or two off in that. Maybe you need somebody to rotate with you or something like that, but consider those things because if you don't, Many ways, you're going to change as a person, and you're going to feel a little bit more closed in. And you're going to feel stressed and depressed, and you're going to wonder why. And many people, that's where shame and guilt kicks in. They don't even let that happen. They won't even want to feel that way. No, I can't feel that way. It's shameful to think that taking care of my grandmother is, is a difficult task. I feel so much guilt that I have days where I don't want to do it. Not only are you human, but that's that's just a natural thing. I'm not encouraging it, don't get me wrong, but it's natural. And the reason why it's natural is because it's not like you're a single person and all you really have to do in your life is work in a job, maybe go date some guy or girl, you know, play some video games, maybe catch a book or something, and then you can go help your grandmother out. Most people who do these things, they don't have that kind of a simplified life. And I'm telling you, um, that's a simplified life compared to what many people do. I know people that have three jobs, still volunteer in the, in, the, in the community, do whatever they can for their family, you know, maybe get three, four hours of sleep, and then they go out and do it again. 
I don't even know how they operate as human beings because that's like superhuman. It really is. You know, I'm not I'm not bragging myself over here, but you know, I got a full time job. I got two young children, and I'm a much older person. You know, I write on a regular basis. I have a weekly column. I got this show. You know, I got a, a, a literary journal I do every month, a monthly one. It's not a bi-monthly one or twice a year or something. Every month. And I have to come up with all these new and different ideas. <laughs> How do you do it? Well, like anything, you make it a priority and, and you get it done. And, of course, I also do volunteer work as well. With the animals, with veterans. So we have to keep ourselves, I think, a way to monitor ourselves because that's how these things of shame and guilt come about. Like I said, they're not always going to be these deep, dark secrets. They're simply not. They're things like that. Those are really common things, common garden variety things. But guess what? You feeling shameful that you didn't do enough for your mother and she died? Or you feeling guilt because... You don't always have the get-go to help your grandmother out. Well, that might not be in, being a prostitute when you're in college or being a heroin user when you're in a, you know, divorce or something, but you still feel that's a terrible secret. You still feel shame and guilt about that. It still affects you as a person. It might even affect your relationship with your spouse or your children. You know, I remember one woman telling me that she had to step away and tell other family members, figure out how you can help her because I only can do so much of it because it's affecting me to the way I'm losing my temper with my own children. You know? And that's when that person started coming out of feeling that way, the guilt and the shame, when they had realized that they had changed in many ways to the worse. They now were an intensive wife and, 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 and in many ways, you know, uh, a temper-filled mother. And that's not a good thing. It's not good for your relationship with your husband and it's certainly not a good relationship with your children. And and there'll be times they understand. But there'll be other times it's like, um, why do we deserve this? Or even better yet, why should we be even receiving this? And you can't always go back on, well, it's family, we have to do this. Uh, it's just because I'm taking care of my mother. It stresses me out. There's a point where you have to make some tough decisions. Especially when I always find, I'm telling you, I wish I would find a, I, I mean, there might be a few examples out there, okay? Don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you, I have yet to find one yet. Where you had a family that were all equally in, invested in helping somebody who was sick. I never find it. I always find the one person that does it, and the rest of the family don't give a crap. They're like, I'm busy with my own family. Yeah, yeah, we're all busy with our own families. But... Whether you're volunteering to help a strange, uh, uh, well, a stranger who's a veteran or animals or something like that, it's it's no different than when you're helping a family member out. In many ways, that's a volunteer work too. So we should be doing that. We should be doing that on in, in a regular basis. I, I'm I'm not even trying to uh, preach or, or plead for some perfect equality in all this, you know. She had three daughters, so three daughters will divide up the labor in one-third each. And, but no, I'm not talking about that, okay? We're not robots here, and uh, this isn't a math class, and, and I'm realistic. But I am saying that all of this lopsided crap I see, it's unbelievable. It's another reason why these people burn out. And you'll find a lot of that in the arts. It'll come from a lot of these personal situations. You'll see it in people's characters sometimes. It's a way for them to release some of the stuff they dealt with, you know, and etc. And none of them feel like they're just trapped. I cannot tell you how many times I've, I've, I've listened to people tell me this, you know, and at first I didn't take it that seriously. It didn't have the impact on me. And later on it did when they said, you know, when my, when my mom passed in, in many ways, you know, it was it was a relief for her to not have to live that kind of life anymore, because I knew, I could see it in her eyes that she was just horrified that she was she was in this condition. But in many ways, it was a relief for me because I don't know how much more I kept going. 
I got family that are going to attend the funeral for a few hours and then I'll probably never hear or see from them again because they certainly didn't do very much. Hell, in some of the instances, the person that took care of the person in their life, they had to take care of the person in their death too. Make the funeral arrangements, make sure the stuff is taken care of and paid for. I had one woman, she told me that she couldn't get her family to do anything, so what she did was she uh, she legally got them in, into the room and, and, and said, if you're not going to make sure that you're going to help me pay for these funeral expenses when the, when the day comes, uh, then what I'm going to do is, because you can legally do this, is I'm going to contest the, the estate in the, in the will. I'm going to say that uh, all of that I've done over here, maybe I deserve all of this because I, I need to pay for all these things because apparently you're not going to do anything. So, so you're going to either do something now and make sure this happens, or then I'm going to look to I'm going to look to take it all, or I'm going to look to to make sure that you don't get anything. And then maybe we all don't get anything. Maybe it just stays in courts forever. I mean, literally, they had to go that far. So it's really important that we remember that. We've had shows there where I mentioned before that people should even step away from the arts to get back their perspective, maybe even gain some things in their life that they didn't gain before because they were so much invested in the arts. Sometimes it could be a useful therapy to help us, and other times, you know, arts for us can be a distraction where, you know, things are not being handled. And I understand like anything we do, sometimes it's good to get a little bit of a break from things, but... This is sort of the reverse show about that, you know? We might need a break from those things in life. All right, now that was the personal part of it all. Let's go on to the artistic part of it. We know, of course, from, from the arts of many people, um, a perfect example would be Edgar Allan Poe. We can tell from many of his works that he dealt with a great deal of not only just anger, but uh, a lot of shame and guilt, a great deal. I think that in many ways, even though he instinctively knew that he was a brilliant writer and that writing is what he needed to do, what he's supposed to do. Remember, he spent a lot of time trying to please his adopted uh, father. And that didn't work out. He couldn't handle uh, West Point because he just wasn't one of those conformist thinking kind of people. Even though he was admired there, people knew that he was a great writer and he, he shared it with people and they were really impressed. But that wasn't his life and he was able to get out of there. And then he went, okay, I know I disappointed you with that, so let me go over and, and try to go into your business. But he couldn't deal with the business either because... You know, when you're a creative person and then, you know, all you're doing is bean counting and, and half half lying <laughs> to sell something, because that's pretty much what sales is in many ways. It's like a, a half a lie. <laughs> uh, he, he couldn't do that either because he was a straight guy, especially if you ever read any of his, his reviews of books. <laughs> they used to call him the Tomahawk Man. It wasn't lying. He got, that guy did not spare anything. He wasn't playing. So he became who he's supposed to become. But you read his works, they're full of shame and guilt. Some of it from how he might have treated his father, even though he thought his adopted father was, uh, was a, a very cruel and, and a cold man. And from everything we've read about him, that certainly does seem to be the case. But I'm sure, I'm sure he still felt some shame and guilt because... That's the guy that adopted him and gave him a life. You know, before Edgar Allan Poe became a, 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 a penniless pauper, always complaining and always trying to find money to survive, you know, he, he lived a very well life. I mean, the, the people who adopted him provided him for everything. He went to a great school, you know. He got to travel. He had, he had at one point, nice clothes. <laughs> All right? I mean, he went to some of the... West Point is not, is not, not to mess around with. I mean, that's... It's a great institution to this day. So if you think about it, in many instances, you know, he had it made. 
Now, I'm not suggesting here or even intimating that somehow, you know, his actions were un ungrateful because in the end, you can't be what somebody else wants you to be if that's not what you want, if that's not really you feel what you're supposed to be at. As we already know, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, he, he, he chose the right field. That's where he belonged. I, I can't even think of the world of arts and letters in, in, in America without having him there. I can't even think of it because, remember, he inspired so many people. So many other writers. Not only here, but in France and England, too. What would have became of them if he wasn't around? If he decided just to be a, a boring tobacco salesman? Who knows? And if you happen to be a tobacco salesman listening to the show, I'm sorry, but that's just my opinion, okay? You, you might love it, though. That's great. You'll find many, many, many writers, particularly, that had to deal with these sort of issues. You'll find some of the some of the female writers dealing with some of the same issues. I mean, what could Anne Sexton feel of shame and guilt? But it's there in many of her works. Now you can always lightly cover it up with, well, Mark, you know, she was suffering from mental illness. I go, yeah, great. A lot of people suffering from mental illness. It doesn't necessarily mean that the shame and guilt they feel is is not real. It could still be real and they have mental illness. Don't get me wrong. You could still have mental illness and unfortunately manufacture some of that because of the paranoia that comes out of certain depressions. I got that. All right. No problem. But they all don't act that way. So sometimes mental illness becomes a distraction and we don't really know what's occurred in that people. For all we know, it's the mental illness that causes them to do certain things or make certain choices that maybe now makes them have shame and guilt. So there could be a relationship, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's uh, fake and it doesn't necessarily mean that it always comes from that. It could just be something separately that had nothing to do with it too. It's not so easy to untangle. No doubt. But it's there, it's there in her work. I don't know everything that would have went through uh, Herman Melville's mind. I know a great deal of, of his biography. I know, you know, he was um, serving on ships. He knew something about whaling. He knew something about just the work of men in the sea. So it wasn't just uh, uh, like... Um, Excuse me, it wouldn't be something like Stephen Crane, who even though he was a war correspondent, he wound up being that after he wrote things about the war. So most of, like the Red Badger Courage, uh, one of the great American novels uh, set in the Civil War, you know, he, he, he wrote that from reading correspondence and talking to interviewing other soldiers and just getting a gist of everything that was going on so that he could write that, that book. He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't even a journalist then. I guess you could say he was doing some of the jobs of a journalist in a way, but in the end he wasn't a formal one like he was later on, which tragically is how he wound up dying because he got sick. Like a lot of the war correspondents, they wind up catching, catching tuberculosis, being out in these terrible conditions. Ironically, uh, you know, more journalists died back then from disease than they did from getting shot or injured in any other fashion. So we don't know what was going through Herman Melville's mind. We don't know. But you can tell in many of his writings, particularly Moby Dick, that's not just a bunch of Shakespearean drama there, okay? He has some real emotion about things that he's doing. Uh, 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 and it's obvious that um, a lot of it revolves inside and out on that particular book, and maybe with him, about loyalty and betrayal. Who knows of these things that he's encountered in his life that he didn't write in his correspondence or he didn't tell anybody, but because he took a lot of these jobs you know, hanging out in the Yukon and logging and, you know, doing up, who knows? If he's had experiences that, that they, they engraved themselves into him when he wrote his book, you know, he poured a lot of that into that. That's a, that's a real possibility.
All right, and then the final segment here is uh, the final word about shame and guilt in the artist. Now, as you can see, or rather, you as you can hear from what we were talking about, there is no perfect formula. Like most things in life, and of course, most things in writing, there are going to be times when the artist can access things they might find shameful or, or guilty in their lives, whether those are real or imagined. Yeah, we can use those. And in some cases, we probably should use those. They make for perfect examples of things that we own. And what we own oftentimes becomes the, the greatest honesty and the most sincerity when we put together a piece of art. It makes it unique. So there's nothing wrong with that. I think what becomes the problem is is when later on, when you stop being an artist for a moment and you go back to being a person again, do you keep carrying that with you? When do you get rid of that? When is it an issue that, you know, that work reminds you of that? Hey, those are still things you're going to have to deal with. It's not unusual for somebody to, um, and we, we've seen this before with writers and, and artists, to um, to hate something. Years later, that became popular, or maybe even helped them make their name, because they've gotten tired of it. And sometimes, the the public don't understand that the person is not being ungrateful. They don't have the big celebrity head, and now you can't talk to them anymore because you know it's beyond anything. Or, or the or the artistic cliche of. They're just mad because the past work is performing anything they're doing presently. Uh, no. A lot of times it could just be because that particular work, no matter what it was saying or doing, no matter how it sounded or read, could have been based on something that was horrible for them. And, you know, it was part of their therapy to get it out. And later on, they were able to, you know, conquer it in their lives. And, and maybe in many instances, they just don't want to keep getting reminded by it. They certainly can't pull their work out from the public anymore, you know. And it's not like they're going to always just sit down in an interview and tell you, you know, that was about the time I was sexually assaulted in uh, in New York City when I was young. And uh, no, they're not going to be saying any of that. It's still a private matter for many people, and and quite frankly, sometimes uh, things endure because of of a certain mystery to them. So you don't even want to add that and then sort of take that away from people you know so you, you ever hear something about a song that you always thought it meant something for i don't know 20 30 40 years and then the you know the songwriter finally gets into an interview and he's trying to promote whatever new work they got and they wind up having to of course always dislodge something from the past because no one seemed to care about what the present was they don't care that the person became a grandmother or you know or had 16 surgeries or learn how to fly a plane or any like whatever they only care about what that exciting thing was back in the day then they then you hear about it you know like oh really that's what it was it's like you want to unhear it it's like you know so sometimes when those people come out especially if they got something interesting uh, in the past or or, or, or work I, I don't get curious there's some things they don't want to be curious about and i'm a pretty curious person about a lot of things but Sometimes I, if I hear they're going to come out and say something, I'm like, I don't want to hear it. I really don't. Because it's like, I have what I feel is important about that particular piece or that particular art or whatever, and I'm happy with that. Not because I'm interested in living some lie. <laughs> Not because I, I like to dwell in denial or something. It's just because it's become now personal for me. Something that I, I can grasp on and hold on to, you know? I wouldn't want Aldous Huxley to give his last interview and say, yeah, yeah, Brave New World really wasn't about, you know, using technology to improve the world, but it rather enslaved people instead. No, it's just really about my, uh, you know, my childhood uh, hang-ups with my mother, and we really never got along. I wouldn't want to hear that. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> so some things you just don't want to, you know. It's just like you want to keep to what you got, and and you're happy with that. Now, I also agree, because these many, many opinions that people have about the subject we're talking about here in this show, 
they all have some validity to them. Nothing really is too much out of the orbit, in my opinion. It's not really out there. It's. I also agree with the crowd that 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 say that, you know, you don't want to use too much of this stuff. I mean, because it becomes becomes a, you know, a a, a real hanger on. It comes a real crutch, so to speak. I mean, what are you going to do? I had someone told me before, and I mean, it's, it, I find it incredulous. In fact, I'm glad they told me in person instead of like on the internet. Because this way I have a better chance to have to punch them in the face, okay? But they, they gave me some nonsense about um, my uh, my ideas or the fact I was given a, a, a speech at the time, you know, about a drug use, a dopey, because uh, I never used any drugs. So therefore, whatever the hell I have to say about it, good, bad, or indifferent, is useless. And I had to tell this person, with some calm, which... I'm not always the most calm person. I'm not going to lie to you here. Um, well, listen. Um, I can also speak about how that rape is a, is a dangerous, horrible antisocial function that that, tor that tears people's lives apart. And that murder is also uh, quite similar. But unfortunately, uh, you, you don't get to reverse murder. Uh, guess what? I, I haven't raped or murdered anybody in my life, so I'm not. I can't be an authority on that. I can't have a moral opinion on that. I can't have any opinion on that. It's idiotic. So you get that sometimes in the artistic world because sometimes people use this stuff so much. I mean, I've gotten feedback negatively even from editors in the past. You know, it doesn't appear like you've had a really hard childhood. Um, no, actually, I haven't. There's pretty pretty Italian middle class type stuff from New Jersey. <laughs> so, I mean, the streets can be rough and everything, but, uh, you know, it wasn't like fighting for food or anything like that, okay? <laughs> All right? And no, I didn't fall into the drug crowd. There wasn't even a whole lot of drugs when I grew up. And I'm not that old, but I'm not that young either. It wasn't like they were out there. They were out there. By the time I got to high school, they were all over the place. Wasn't interested in them. Kind of full of stuff, in my opinion. Always had that opinion, and I always will. That's that. But the nonsense about, you know, you can't write about important things uh, of people's lives and things they should avoid, mistakes they should make, choices they shouldn't go down that path just because uh, you, you haven't been poor or you haven't taken drugs or you haven't divorced or you, you haven't killed somebody, uh, you know, with a knife in, in, in a fight or something. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I, if we, if we're not going to penalize the people who have either through no fault or own have to go through some of that stuff, or even in the cases of, of dumb, dumb criminal acts. And I'm happy that people have paid their time and, and maybe learned the lesson from that. I don't have a problem with that. But if we're going to let all of that happen and we're all going to let that be okay, and I don't understand why my life is supposed to be any different. I'm supposed to what, be punished because, you know, I didn't accidentally run somebody over with my car. I didn't drink and drive. Hmm? Didn't take any drugs. Still on my first marriage. My kids are not out there stabbing people in the street. What, what am I supposed to be? I'm supposed to be ashamed. I'm supposed to be worried. I'm, I'm supposed to be concerned. I can't write because what? I don't have this great well of, of negativity and overwhelming fear of doubt in everything in my life. No, that's just silly. You got some folks that believe that. That's how that sort of thing can get carried away. You know? I knew a writer one time. He's like, man, I'm going to take some drugs because it'll help me understand what about drug is because this is good for the character I'm writing in this novel. I'm like, dude, you're, you're a writer, Okay. You're not a method actor. Even that particular form of method acting, to me, has always been dumb. Never understood it. Never liked it. Don't really approve of it. I don't even think it's a good idea. In fact, if you ever look at the few actors that did use that method, and you'll find that many of them had, because they used that method, hurt themselves psychologically. Now, you could always say they might have had some mental illness from the beginning of their acting career, but... Who's to know? Maybe it formed because they kept doing stuff. You know, you have to lose weight to be really thin or something for the role, or you have to think mentally damaging things in order to be angry. You know, I love Marlon Brando. I don't have a problem thinking that he's one of the greatest actors ever. Certainly proud that he's an Italian fellow as well. 
But I don't have any problem telling you, even after whatever I told you, that the method acting is a bunch of hogwash, and I think it's damaging to people. Don't think it's a good idea. So I certainly don't think it's a good idea of writing. What? You can't write about drugs? Or you can't have your character write about doing things in drugs, and you have to have take drugs to do so? I mean, it, it doesn't make no sense. It sounds like a poor excuse, or it just sounds like you don't know how to use creativity. I remember when... Um, uh, Lawrence Olivier was talking to, to Dustin Hoffman, and this is a common story. You've heard it before. So it's, but it bears, it bears real, real merit in, in this particular episode. He's like, I gotta run like a good mile. So this way it looks like I'm really like tired and running when I do my, uh, my, my acting role in this movie. You know? And all, all Lawrence Olivier could look at him and, you know, incredulously and say, uh, uh, why don't you try acting? That's what it's called, acting. You don't have to actually look like you're tired from running. I don't know, act. That's <laughs> what he was trying to tell the guy. He just didn't understand the whole method acting thing. It's, you know, it was, it was a fad for a while there, but it had a, a couple of serious practitioners. Unfortunately, without making light of it, because I don't make people, I don't make fun of people with mental illness, but I'm telling you, a lot of them seem to have attained that status where they had huge issues with their temperaments and depression. And all kinds of horrible things. So, I wonder what it does to you, and, and how how effective that is as an an autistic uh, mode. I just don't think it's a good idea. You don't need it for writing. I definitely don't think you need it for acting. You know, you're supposed to be an actor. Go act it out. Hmm? You're supposed to be a writer. Well, guess what? When you encounter subjects that you don't know about, what do you do? You go to the library and research. All right, so I'm older, and maybe sometimes you can just Google it, okay? Fine, whatever. But research is what you're going to be doing. That's what you do. You don't go around saying, uh, I can't write about climbing a giant mountain until I actually climb a mountain. I'm telling you something, folks. Imagination is oftentimes more important in writing than anything you actually have done or willing to do. Because it doesn't make any difference. Hey, guess what? I've actually climbed a mountain before. And you know what I learned? I don't want to do it again. I'm not liking the idea I'm going to fall back and die. Okay? For what? For a stupid mountain. I, I just don't see the point. It just seems like my death would be meaningless. Okay? And guess what? I didn't gain any incredible Zen wisdom things about nature. I still not interested in riding a mountain. And I've actually climbed one. So it doesn't really prove anything. <laughs> and it certainly didn't give me any incredible insights. Other than I'm not a big nature person, I'm certainly not a climber, you know, I don't mind running and I don't mind hiking, but climbing, uh, to me, I, I don't I don't see it. I mean, I'm sure some people think it's some great test of, of their will or strength or whatever, and God bless them, okay, because I'm not putting the thing down at all. Go do what you got to do. Just Mark isn't going to be with you on that, okay? I know, he's not writing a story about it either, ever. That's because it's just not interesting to me. So, we have to be careful that we don't start acting on people's, what I always call, bumper sticker wisdom. Because it doesn't do you any good. You know? Zen this, and, you know, towel that, and, you know, to me, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, okay? You have to live what you know. And you have to be able to write what you know. And if you don't know enough of it, well... Go do some research. You don't have to live with dark secrets. Hell, you don't even have to live with secrets at all. A lot of times you'll feel a whole lot more freer and you'll write a whole lot of better if you get that junk off your chest. Okay? I meet too many people from all kinds of walks of life. And not just on the internet. I mean, lively, because I'm outside as well, well. I'm always surprised by how many people seem to have some unusual chips on the shoulder. You know? I might understand it when you're 20. Okay, you're just coming from a family life and all of that, and you're still kind of making adjustments and da 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 da. da fine, but I don't understand it when you're 40 and you're 45 and you're 50. I don't understand that because that means you've had a whole life of this chip thing. What the hell have you done to take it off, huh? Or has it just become another excuse? That's why we're writers. So that we can go down deep inside ourselves, other people, 
the world so that we can gather something new to write about. Some interesting truths that really haven't been told or maybe haven't been noticed. There is always something new out there, including yourself in terms of being somebody that nobody else is like. You're original if you use that. You know, and I'm always, I'm always disappointed when I meet people that seem, to me anyway, maybe they might seem different to you, but it seems to me that they're trying to be somebody else. They're not being themselves. And I don't know why. Especially in the creative world, I see a whole lot of that stuff. Sort of stuff. One of the reasons I'm happy to uh, to continue my show and move in some other directions with the Mind Speak thing I'm going to start in August and go forward is is that love writing, and I love writers, but it could be quite disappointing at times to constantly talk with people that don't seem to be serious in it. Everything's about you know, can I do this at, at a record time? Um, I've I've literally had people ask me, Mark, when do you think? I should like draw the line on whether I've been successful or not. Like all the work you have to do to write, let's say a novel, because that's usually what people are trying to do because it's a money thing for them. It's not even an idea thing anymore. It's just how can I do this and be interesting and make some money? And they literally want to know, I mean, is there a formula? Is there a line? I mean, I guess the line is when you get tired of faking that you want to be a writer and you want to go and do something else. Maybe that's the line for you. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean or cynical. I'm just being honest because I don't understand the question. You know, if you feel like you've been called to be a writer and you want to be a writer, then go be a writer then. Don't ask these dumb questions. That don't make any sense because to me, they, they already sound like you, you're not really interested. You're already sounding like you're giving up because if you put... A timeline or even a deadline on something that's literary and something that's creative something that that can mean something well then you're not being realistic about the world out there how much it's changed or maybe even about yourself because you don't know how long it's going to take it might never happen too that's what that's the risk you take it's called risk that's what writing is writing is another word for risk. Alright, folks. I really appreciate all the support. We got uh, another uh, episode a little later in the month to wrap up the, the month of July, and then we'll go on to the uh, other type of show. I'm still going to be doing some some uh, some literary shows a couple every month as well, as well as uh, doing the other one where I'm going to try to do some more global affair things. And we might actually change it up a little bit where, because it's global arts now, we might be able to do a couple other topics that I really couldn't do before because it was under the literary banner. So it would be nice to bring on some people and talk about other things than even literary stuff. I mean, it, there'll probably still be a book involved anyway because I prefer that, you know what I mean? So you got somebody that might want to talk about the, the paranormal, and I don't mean anything cheesy. I mean, somebody who wrote a book and seriously is investigating this sort of stuff, I wouldn't mind hearing about that. I think it'll be an interesting show, you know? I, I feel the same way about, you know, people that are investigating, the, you know, various uh, parts of the world. They're looking for, you know, hidden creatures out there. They might even be wanting to know, you know, how their ancient temple was built or, you know, I think that's interesting as heck. I, I mean, I, I really do. And if you can frame a show that way and make it be interesting, then I'd be happy to do that. So um, I might do that now and then as well, just because it's fun and creative and something and something different. And I, that's that's something I, I, I look forward to doing as well. It's, a, it's nice to have a... Uh, a, a different type of audience and, and it's also nice to, to to be able to just put a show out there or, where I don't have to um, I don't have to concern myself as, as much about what kind of impact it's going to have because in many cases when I'm doing this show it, it's always on my mind what kind of impact is this going to have with a person that's trying to write or someone that is writing and etc yeah, I'm always concerned about that because I don't want to put stuff out there you know, that's 
that's insidious or that's that's completely without merit or has no foundation or or if it's just, just sort of like superficial and casual. There's so much of that stuff has been done plenty of times before. Probably we do plenty of times after me. And so there'll be plenty of people who want to do stuff like that. They'll probably find an audience too. And that's fine. I won't make fun of them. It's just not who I am. That's all. And I want to try to do some other things. Thank you for you listening. Know, and, uh, Follow the just show. Just wanted to be that straight with you about that. By visiting our sponsor. All right, folks. Until next time. God bless and, and thank you. As always for all the emails and, and, and the support. Soma Publishing. And, um, I'm really, really uh, happy to go forward and, and do something slightly different, but stay in the in the mix of of podcasting and and, and speaking about uh, matters and issues that uh, I find. Uh, wonderful and uh, definitely uh, uh, exciting. God bless until next time. Bye-bye.